Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from somewhere in the western half of Canada. Episode 75, A New Year's Vision. I'm sure I'm not the first, nor will I be the last, to make a vision pun about the new year. It's just so easy. I'm going to see things more clearly in 2020. 2020 will be the year that I change the way I look at things, and things like that. But there is definitely something about starting a new year and a new decade that encourages you to take stock, look at your life, and consider what you want from the time ahead of you. And since this is my first episode of this new decade, I thought I would share with you some of the things I'm looking at for this year. This year, I will work towards feeling more settled. 2019 threw all the pieces of my life in the air, and they're still coming back down and fitting into new and different patterns in a lot of ways. I am working very differently than I ever have in my life, and I am still sorting out ways to be efficient and maintain a work-life balance. I am not doing what I thought I would do, which was becoming a full-time fiber arts teacher, but I am still leaving space in my life for teaching and mentoring others. And it's been almost a year now since my stress injury, and though my brain is healing, it is quite different than it used to be, and that's a good thing. I am still doing the work of letting go of the habits that no longer serve me, and practicing the habits that do. All of this change, and more that doesn't really bear going into, in a relatively short period of time explains why I continue to feel a bit like I've tripped and I'm just running to keep from falling. A great image that I've stolen from a book I read. And so I want to make 2020 the year of catching my balance and breath again, and being able to continue down this road at a slightly less frenetic pace. I also want to focus on my physical health. My relationship with food deteriorated as my mental and physical health did, and that is something I want to deliberately focus on repairing this year. That will also mean a bigger focus on other aspects of physical health as well. It means exercise, stretching, drinking water, and making time for all those things within the limits of my capacity. But by focusing on these things, my capacity will increase, so it's doubly important that I prioritize this in the coming year. In 2020, I am getting married. I still have done little planning besides almost finishing my wedding shawl, and I know that I really just have to take some time and figure out what is going to be the right kind of day for us to celebrate our commitment and love for each other. I'm still not quite sure what that's going to look like, but it's slowly becoming less nebulous now that I am genuinely faced with the actual planning. As for fiber arts, I want to do more this year. There are several ways I can do this, and I'm contemplating the best ones to focus on. For example, I can continue to propose articles to ply and spin off, which, if they're accepted, will give me some focus for my spinning. There's an art show being hosted in town in June, and I'm considering submitting a proposal to it, which, if my vague concept works, will include spinning, dyeing, and knitting. But if none of these things pan out, I still want to create more, do more, because fiber arts are so important to my mental health. I want to play with needle felting. 
I want to finish up some knit projects. I want to spin great yarn. I want to experiment with spinning, learn more, be more deliberate. I want to teach more people, inspire them to challenge themselves in their fiber arts and continue to grow and expand their knowledge in the same way that I do. But perhaps most importantly of all, I want this to be the year that I am gentle with myself. I know that everything I'd like to do this year is a lot, like a lot. I don't want to reach the end of the month and berate myself for not getting three knitting projects done, or give myself heck for not going for a walk every second day, or feel guilty about ordering in if I'm just too tired to cook. I have a focus, and I have work I want to do, but I also know that I have a lower capacity than I might want, and that will affect how much I am able to do. But if February is better than January, and March is better than February, and I accept the incremental gains I am able to make and celebrate them, then by next December, I will be happier, healthier, and more balanced than I am at this moment. I've said it before, I'm sure, but knitting is a very good preparation for the kind of lifestyle changes I'm talking about. We build our fabric stitch by stitch, putting increases and decreases and stitch patterns in the right places to create a whole and beautiful cloth. But it takes time and patience, and no matter how big the project we're working on, we still have to assemble it one stitch at a time. Sometimes we make mistakes and have to frog back, but eventually we get to the end and we have something beautiful. That is how I'm going to approach this year. Stitch by stitch, change by change, moment by moment, thought by thought. That is my 2020 vision. We'll see where it takes me. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week. I had a little bit of downtime at work this week, and so I decided to play with the blending board that I got with my first order from Ashford. Just to, you know, get a feel for it, just in just in case I have to, you know, do something with it. And I it was interesting, you know, I I'm really used to using hand cards. It's something that you do a lot in Master Spinner with blending and and, uh, you know, combining colors and prepping uh, fiber and all of that. So the blending board is a little different. I mean, you, you do certainly, you can use unprepared fiber on it, but that's not actually what it's for. You want to probably prepare your fiber before you use it. And then you sort of just paint a picture and then make some Rolex out of it uh, with these two dowels. Probably not very good at it yet, but eh, we'll keep going. So it was fun and it was it was interesting sort of the way that you could almost, you know, paint a picture and and you know, draw some inspiration from somewhere. I, I was just using some of the fiber that was left over from my felting classes that had kind of been pulled off of the the original um roving or, or top. So it was just little bits and stuff. But you know, I still sort of went, okay, I don't wanna kind of create you know, this kind of gradient, I want to put these things in different places. And, and so that was fun. It was really, it was really fun to sort of be creative in that way.
I'm interested really to see how they spin up now. That will be the key, I think, because I'm I'm so used to hand-carded Rolex, which are, you know, nice and lofty. And, and I've had some uh, blending board Rolex that have just been so tight and just the, the different types of fibers that were in them. It just wasn't appropriate for spinning woolen. So... I'm interested to see how these ones spin up and, and if I can refine my technique a little bit, and that will take some practice. I'm still working on finishing up the project on the traditional, but I'm so close. I've got like like a less than a hand length left of the fiber. And then I'm going to chain ply it, and then that's done. And then I've got some mechanicking to do. <laughs> with a couple of wheels. A friend of mine has a 1965 vintage traditional and it needs some help. It has never been used, but it's been assembled since probably in that era and been moved several times and just stored in basements and, and my friend is not able to use it now. So I took a look at it. It is definitely missing the whole flyer it's nowhere to be found and the footman the the leather conrod is missing it doesn't have a drive band the brake band is i don't know where the brake band is i think it's the brake tension knob has been chewed on by something and uh, some of the veneer on the treadle is coming off so it it needs some help but before i you know go really hard into it i need to see if the new flyers will actually fit on a 1965 version. So I'm going to take my, my traditional is a 1975 era traditional. So I'm going to see, first of all, I've, I've purchased a, a new flyer for the freedom flyer. I think it's the freedom flyer. So I'm going to see if that will go on to my traditional once this project is finished. And then I'm going to, if, if it does, then I'm going to see if it also fits on the 75 or the 65 vintage one. And we'll see. I may, you know, fix it up for my friend and sell it for her. I may buy it off of her and fix it up myself to have a loaner wheel. We'll we'll see what I decide to do with it. But, you know, I just, I really like, like, antique wheels are finicky, um, but I don't, I don't mind that. But especially something like the traditionals, which are basically rock solid, workhorses, easily upgradable, I think I can get this up and running for not a lot of money. Yes, the flyer is going to be the most expensive part. But I think I can get this done with a little bit of elbow grease and and not a lot of cash. So so that will be fun, you know. I I, I like this part. This is this is part of the reason why I wanted the the um, circular sock machine too, even though I haven't had a ton of time to to play with it is these things want to be used. They want to be used by people who who love doing it. So if I can get this one back up and spinning again, even if it's just, like I said, a loaner wheel for me to loan out to people, that makes me happy. So I'm continuing to sort of work away at a few things. Um, I've, I've got Guild tomorrow and I'll go and spin some and maybe do some fiber prep and we'll see what I, I do there. And, you know, working away at some of the you know, the projects in the office and, and that kind of thing. So last time we finished off level four and now we're on to level five. So whenever I tell people about kind of the arc of the master spinner program, you know, how level one, you make string and level two, you make better string 
When I talk about level five, I say that you make synthetic string, which is a little bit of a misnomer, but it is about, you know, a good quarter at least of the yarns that you spin in level five. And those are the first two modules. So let's talk module A1, which is the true synthetic fibers. Now I hear you out there saying, oh, synthetics, oh, they're awful. They're killing the universe and, and the oceans and all of that. And you're not wrong. You're absolutely not wrong. But there is a time and place for synthetics and being able to spin them opens up other doors for you. And let's not count them out. You know, like the, let's, let's just talk about synthetics for a second here. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love my natural fibers, but there, there definitely is a place for them. For example, if you are vegan and you don't want to work with necessarily with wools or silks or anything like that, then synthetics provide an option for you. A lot of your synthetics, specifically your rayon type synthetics and your ten or your lyocell or tencel type synthetics, are made from extruded cellulose. So no animal products at all. If you have this, you have a thing about how silk is. If you know, if you have a moral objection to the silkworms giving their lives for the silk that we have, then rayon and lyocell can provide an option for you to, to have some of the similar characteristics with the luster and the drape without that. And there may be other reasons that you decide to use a synthetic over a natural fiber. None of those are, are bad. So in level five, module A4, you have to spin three, four, five, six skeins of synthetic yarns. So nylon. Nylon is a fascinating fiber, and if you go into the history of it, certainly it's it's really really interesting. and And I can speak to this because when I when I was working on the curriculum for level five last year, I had to do a lot of research into this, and it is really interesting how nylon came to be. So if you have a chance, look that up. But there are two different kinds of nylon that are available to hand spinners. There's the quote unquote fake cashmere nylon. And then there's the icicle nylon. So the fake cashmere nylon, that's the kind of stuff that you'll find in your sock yarns. It's the nylon that, you know, we, we have in clothing as a general rule. It provides strength and it provides a bit of loft because it's called fake cashmere for a reason. It's, it's got a lot of crimp almost and bulk and loftiness to it. Cool thing about nylon is that it dyes just like protein fibers. So you can put nylon into your blend and dye it, and you won't get this sort of um, frosted look because it will take the dye, just like your protein fibers. So in this case, we had to spin a skein of 100% nylon roving. Uh, that's your fake cashmere nylon. Interesting to spin. And then we had to do two blends with nylon, one at 50-50 and the other at 20-80. So my 50-50 was with the fake cashmere nylon and I blended it with, I believe, Merino. Nope, Cory Dale. And so that, it made for a, it has a cooler hand than a regular Cory Dale and, and it's smoother as well. Really interesting. And then my 80-20, that's generally your sock yarn blend. I chose to blend, I believe, Cory Dale again. Let me check. Indeed, Corydale, with 20% icicle nylon, just for fun. 
Now, Icicle Nylon, that's the sparkle. It's not quite like Angelina, but it's still pretty close. And so, you know, that adds kind of a frosted sparkly look to the fiber or to the yarn. And it's, it's really cool. So those are your nylon blends. Then there's your rayon blend. So let's talk a bit about rayon and lyocell or tencel. That's the brand name is tencel. Both of these are extruded cellulose fibers. So they, they basically make a slurry, extrude the cellulose from wood or cotton linters or a whole lots of stuff. In rayon, there's a lot of chemicals and they're all flushed out of the system. And that's why in some countries like Bangladesh, drinking water is not usable because between the dyeing and the creation of things like rayon, there is no, <laughs> it just gets dumped into the water. And that's a problem that as a society, we're gonna have to solve. Lyocell is more expensive to produce but it is also an extruded cellulose. So again, they make the slurry, but the chemicals that they use for lyocell are 98% recycled back into the same system. So it's a closed system versus an open system. They have slightly different characteristics. Lyocell is wrinkle resistant, whereas rayon wrinkles if you look at it wrong, those kind of things. So these are also really useful, but because they are cellulose fibers, if you blend them with a wool and try and dye it, they will not take the dye. And so you're gonna end up with that sort of frosted look. That is cool, you may want that. Rayon and Lyocell, Rayon, when it first came out, was dubbed synthetic silk, basically. But it was also highly flammable, it is no longer. When it was highly flammable, they called it mother-in-law silk because <laughs> apparently you didn't, weren't supposed to like your mother-in-law. So they behave a little bit, they're very slippery, they behave a lot like silk when you're spinning them. So you have to spin 100% rayon yarn, and then you have to blend it with another fiber. In my case, I blended it with Coopworth, which is a fairly coarse wool. And I blended it at 60% Coopworth and 40% rayon. And what happened here, was that it really softened the Coopworth. And what did I say in my notes? It softened it and made it co much cooler to the touch, gave it a lot more drape. So again, you know, that's something that you can do with these synthetic fibers. And then you have to spin 100% lyocell or tencel as well. So, I lost a few marks in here, mostly, shockingly, for uneven grist. Now, I was well into my diagnosis of fibromyalgia at this point, and uh, I was getting, you know, kind of slowly, gradually worse and worse. And one of my symptoms for my fibromyalgia is that I have reduced feeling in the tips of my fingers. So I... I balance my grist by sight because I can't really feel how much fiber is going through my fingers, not with the kind of sensitivity I would need to, to really get a, a, a good even grist. And that's something I need to practice. I'm not, it's just, but, but grist by sight is quite a bit harder than grist by feel. So it's something I'm going to have to work on. 
And I mean, hopefully if I can get my physical health under control and actually, you know, get some better posture in my shoulders, maybe I can actually open up the nerve paths back down to my fingers and I can actually feel things better again. But by the time I got to level five, I kind of accepted this. And so I accepted the marks that I got taken off for uneven grist. Now I'm looking at my yarns right now. They're actually pretty decent, you know, like, yeah, there are some spots and, and I probably would have taken the marks off as well as an instructor now, but you know, I'm looking at level five and, and I just, I, uh, another instructor had a question about a level one exercise. And so I'd pulled up my level one in this last couple of weeks too. And I'm like, wow, you know, by the time I got to level five, I'd improved so much as a spinner. It's really kind of cool to actually have this record of your improvement over the years. So uh, that's an aside. So yeah, like the, the yarns themselves are, are pretty good. So don't discount your synthetics, you know, and, and remember that, you know, that, that, that Merino nylon blend that you've been coveting, you know, there is actually a purpose for that. You know, we, we, we look at our sock yarns, it's like a, it needs at least 15% nylon to actually hold up to what we're going to do with it, which is walk on it all day. And yes, you can put in silk. Some people have found that nylon, for whatever reason, might have some rough edges. Silk, you know, may work better. But nylon also has crimp, whereas silk doesn't. So you have to balance what you want out of your yarn with the characteristics of the fibers. And in that case, nylon, rayon, and lyocell may be the ones that you want to blend in. So there's my little spiel about synthetics they're they're they definitely have their place and we you know it, it's important as fiber artists that we look at that so next up in level five will be module b2 which i think they call it like cellulose fibers i'm going to put that in big quotation marks and i will tell you why in the next episode Fiber notes. So I am casting off my wedding shawl. Oh, it's a it's a crochet pico bind off of 777 stitches. So you you know you, you crochet two or three together, make a chain of five you know, slip stitch into the bottom to make your pico, chain another five, and then cast off another two or three stitches. So it's going to take a while. Uh, it's probably going to take at least, you know, if I sit down every day to it, which is not happening, uh, it was probably going to take me a, a good four or five days, but oh well. My problem is that I am just, I've just reached another color change. And so the color is going to change from peach to yellow right in the middle of my cast off and so I kind of stopped and I've been sitting with this for a day and there is peach at the center of my ball I got about half the yarn left and there's peach at the center of the ball and so I'm leaning quite heavily towards splicing into the center of the ball now and continuing in peach 
because I, I, I imagine this sitting on my, because it's probably going to be a white dress because it's a wedding dress or off-white or ivory or something like that. And I imagine these lovely little picots that just sort of completely fade out to yellow on the right side of the shawl because, and then you won't be able to see them at all and it'll look almost unfinished, maybe. So that's kind of where I'm sitting right now. I think I'm hoping that I have enough peach at the center of that ball to finish the cast off because again, with a pico bind off, even a crocheted one, it's taking a lot of yarn. But if I stop now, splice into the center of the ball, the peach, then if it starts to transition again, then I can go back to the outside of the ball, which is still sort of a peachy yellow. I've still got quite a bit of that. And then I think I'll be okay. It is gorgeous. It's going to be even more gorgeous when I block it, but it is really, really pretty. And I don't know what I'm going to do with the other half of the yarn. I've thought about making a tie for Randy so that we'd be in similar colors, but you know, 800 yards for a tie is a very long tie. So I'll have to think about it. Or maybe I just won't do anything for the wedding with it. We will see. So yes, by the next episode, I should be done my wedding shawl. And that will be great. And you can ask me then if I've set a date. We'll, we'll see if that happens. The circumvolute hat is going really well. I'm about halfway through the chart. I'm probably going to have to do the chart at least one and a half, if not two times. And it's it's pretty. It It's really going well. Problem is that I'm getting a wear spot on my finger it's from using metal needles. Somehow or another, I start wearing away at the side of my index finger. And so I'm going to have to be a little careful for a while about how much I do. Again, with the cast off too, because the metal crochet hook hits that spot as well. So just, you know, drinking more water and putting on lotion and that kind of thing. And and then, yeah, so that, that won't take very long. It's a hat. And then I'm not sure. I'll definitely be looking at the projects that I have on the go and figuring out which one will be prioritized next. I mentioned the art show in my essay that I'm thinking of proposing to. The show is for people on the gender and sexuality spectrum and their allies, and it's about exploring the plus in LGBTQ+, and, and it's using the concept of gradients, how gender and sexuality is a gradient, it's not black and white, and how could I resist that? How could I resist that as a knitter, as a spinner, as a fiber artist? I really just couldn't. So I've been playing around with a concept for kind of a pie shawl, or just rather that construction, because I don't want it to be terribly large. I'm thinking about knitting something on small needles. I have a one millimeter circular, which I know is insane. And then stretching that, or the what happens, it'll be, who knows how big it'll be, but stretching it into a frame or a ring and then putting that on a wall. So um, I'm giving some thought to some motifs for each of the rings and the, the different colors, and then I'll write up a proposal. It, the proposal's not due before March, and the art is due by June. So 
I kind of just like this idea anyway, so I will submit my proposal and maybe even just start spinning for it because it's going to have to be like gossamer, you know, like a two-ply really, really fine yarn. And then, uh, and then just maybe do it anyway, you know, have that, you know, art piece that I made art from, you know, spinning and knitting and then I can say that I've done that. And again, that will give me some focus to what I want to accomplish. So we'll see. But yes, I'm, I'm making some progress on projects and almost finishing things. And, and I like that. I like that a lot. I should definitely do more smaller projects. But I like the big ones too. So <laughs> we'll see. I'll take a look at what I've got on the needles and pick something. And I'll let you know what that is in the next episode. Fiberside Chat. So this is episode 75, and I was kind of thinking I wanted to make it special somehow. I and mean, I was trying to figure out how I could do that when I got an email. It was uh, Deborah Neiman from the Livestock Conservancy in the United States. And she reached out to me because she knew that I had a podcast. And she wanted to see if I would like to help raise awareness of sheep in North America or in the United States specifically that are in danger of extinction. And I love sheep, so of course I said. And this is great timing because I'm looking for something special to put into my 75th episode. So I interviewed her this past week and it was a, a really, really interesting interview. She she knows her stuff about sheep breeds and and she also knows that, you know, Merino is not the be-all and end-all and the other sheep have definitely a purpose. And so we talked a lot about that. So the Livestock Conservancy is in, in the United States. Canada has the Heritage Livestock Canada and Britain has the Rare Breed Survival Trust. So these are these are, I looked these ones up. I'm sure other countries also have similar programs for not just sheep, but cows, other livestock, geese, chickens, that kind of thing. So the Livestock Conservancy in the United States has started this program called Shave Them to Save Them. And that's specifically what we talked about, Deborah and I. And it brings awareness to the fact that there are many breeds in danger of extinction in the States. They're, they're one hoof and mouth outbreak away from being gone. So in this case, awareness of the fact that these sheep exist and what their fleeces are good for is the most important part. And using that wool is the most important part. And so we talked a bit about how the program works and what spinners like you and I can do to help raise awareness around these breeds and also to just spread the, spread the word. This interview actually inspired me to go into my stash and look for what I have that are from these breeds that are in danger. And I actually have quite a bit. So the other thing, one of the other things I want to do going forward is actually work with some of these fleeces and, you know, give you my honest opinion of them, what they might be good for, and so that we can all work together to save these sheep. So here's the interview. I hope you enjoy it. So I'm here with Deborah Neiman from the Livestock Conserve something. (laughs) Conservancy. Conservancy. And uh, we're here to talk about the Shave Them to Save Them. 
which is about making people aware of certain breeds of sheep that are in danger of going extinct. So well, tell me a bit about it. Well, basically the mission of the Livestock Conservancy is to save rare breeds of all livestock in the United States so that they don't become extinct because many of them have become rare for a variety of reasons in our modern world. Mm -hmm. And with sheep, one of the biggest reasons they've become rare is, first of all, wool use has just gone down dramatically because there's so many um, synthetic fabrics now that people use. And the other reason is that they can get wool so much cheaper from China and the other side of the world because labor costs over there are so much less. And kind of the same thing with, you know, a lot of things like appliances and cars and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, several breeds of sheep, um, 22 actually, we have 22 breeds of sheep on our list that are in danger of extinction. And some are in worse shape than others. You know, for some of them, there's only a few hundred that are left. Mm -hmm. And um, in other cases, it's maybe a couple thousand. But it's, you know, it's not good because it, would, it wouldn't be... A it wouldn't take a stretch of the imagination to see that, like, they could all wind up dead. If we had something horrible in this country, like a hoof-and-mouth outbreak or something, you know, some of these breeds that are concentrated in just a few flocks could wind up gone very quickly. Absolutely. So the best way to save any kind of a rare animal is to give it a job. And with wool sheep, that means using their wool. Mm -hmm. Most pe Most fiber artists are using synthetic fiber and those who do use wool are usually using merino and they're not aware that there are even other types of wool out there. Mm -hmm. And merino is a lovely fiber. It's very soft, which is what made it very popular, but it also is kind of persnickety, you know, like it felt if you wash it, it pills. Mm -hmm. um, and so it has some things that are undesirable, but since people don't know, well, that's unique to Merino. There are breeds of wool that don't felt when you wash them, so you can throw them in the washing machine. There are breeds that don't pill, so they will look beautiful forever. And they're different. You know, they're, um, if you're a fiber artist, some of these wools make really great rugs um, because they are more coarse, and so they're going to last a lot longer with people walking on them. Um, some of them make beautiful tapestries, um, all the way down to, you know, some are next to skin soft and would make lovely scarves and things like that that are going to be next to your skin. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I always tell people you wouldn't use merino for a rug, but you probably shouldn't knit a bikini out of um, Scottish blackface. Right. <laughs> so. That's a great example. Exactly. Every, every wool has its uses, and, and I mean, I haven't come across a wool that I really dislike, you know, like everything mm -hmm. is useful for something. And, right. and yeah. you know, one of the things that, that I like to, to, you know, talk to people about is, is figuring out, A, what's the best spinning technique for a particular wool, and B, what is it mm -hmm. good for, and how can you marry those things? You can't just try and spin, um, say, a Shetland exactly like you would a Merino, because it's just not going to work. So, so yeah, you're right. Giving, giving these breeds a job is the most important part. Now, when we were chatting by email, I, I mentioned that there's a, a gentleman uh, who lives around here, a farmer, who has Black Welsh Mountain, which is one of the breeds on your list. And uh -huh. right now, because he obviously doesn't see a market for his fleece, he's either composting or burning them after shearing, which right. makes me super sad. <laughs> 
So exactly, it, I know. It just, I just want to cry when I hear people say things like that because he is not the only one who's doing that. Nope. You know, a lot of people, their shearer comes around and for whatever reason says there's no market for it, especially if it's a colored fleece. Mm-hmm. You know, the wool pool only wants the white fiber. And if there's just even an inch of black that creeps up from the legs, they don't want it. Forget a fleece that's like completely gray or black or brown or whatever. Mm-hmm. They don't want those at all. And so people who raise colored sheep especially think that their wool is worthless. And they wind up throwing it away, burning it, maybe giving it away if they happen to know a fiber artist who wants it. And that is not sustainable. No. You know, nobody's going to be able to do this long term if they're not even breaking even with their with their sheep. And mm-hmm. so the point of Shave them to Save them is to help people to help shepherds also learn that their fiber is valuable and that they can sell it. There are people who want it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I personally love the colored fibers because to me that's like, oh, well, that's one less job that I have to do. You know, I don't have to dye it. Exactly. It's, I can use it the way it is. Yeah. Um, so, the you know, we want to educate the shepherds. We want to educate the fiber artists. And then get the fiber artists actually purchasing the fiber. And then we've got a Facebook group and a Ravelry group where, you know, if somebody's never worked with a particular fiber before, they can, you know, post on there and say, I've never worked with this before. How do I do it? Mm-hmm. And on the Ravelry group, we've got breed-specific threads where somebody can go in there and see that thread, like, and see everything people have written about that so far, like, you know, challenges maybe in cleaning mm-hmm. or you know, should they comb or card and that kind of stuff. And then on a Facebook group, we've got breed specific project photo files. Mm-hmm. So people can go in there and see like, Oh, what can I do with this um, beyond spinning? And the program is not just for spinners. That is the majority of the people who've gotten involved so far, mm-hmm. but we do have people who sell yarn. So we've had the knitters and crocheters. I, some of my favorites to look at um, are the photos of things that people have knit or crochet or felted even. We have some incredible felt artists who just do the most beautiful little felt sculptures. One person is creating, out of every single sheep's wool, she is creating a sheep of that breed. Oh, that's Which so is cool. just, yeah, that's like one of my favorite um, photos to see when it gets posted. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So the, the Shave em to Save em program itself, I noticed, is only open to people in the United States. What can people from other countries like Canada do to, to be part of this and, and to help, you know, help shepherds, you know, first of all, find that market and, and also mm-hmm. just, you know, get the word out that, you know, sheep are really cool and, and no matter what PETA says, you know, we need to shear them and yes. we need to use their wool. Right, yes them is actually an act of kindness it is. because um, they will be very uncomfortable if they don't get sheared mm-hmm. and they can get to a point where they get so big that if they were to roll over they would die exactly. because they wouldn't be able to get back up again yeah. because they would have so much wool the wool just keeps growing yes, and does. growing and growing <laughs> so um, so if you're in another country um, we have actually there are some people on the Facebook group and the Ravelry group mm-hmm. who are doing the program unofficially right now they are purchasing it and and sharing their experience on there so you mm-hmm. can definitely do that and we're working on um, 
since we the program's been going for one year now, and so now that we've kind of and initially we were overwhelmed with the response and like, oh my gosh, I don't know how we could do this with people in other countries, but we're working on a way to figure out how we can make this um, something that Canadians can get involved with. So hopefully within the next couple of months, we will be able to um, open it up to people in Canada. But if you're in any country, you know, like if you're in the UK, they have the Royal Breed Survival Trust. And and also in Canada, you've got um, Heritage Canada. Mm-hmm. So you can look Look, go to their website, and I believe there's also like an Australian rare breed organization. You can go to their website and see what the breeds are in your country that are rare, and then look for those particular, mm-hmm. look for shepherds who raise them. And probably if you just search online for your country, you know, buy with the breed of wool that you're looking for, you can hopefully find somebody who is selling that. And if not, if you just find somebody who's raising those sheep, contact them and say, wow, I would love to buy your fiber. Mm-hmm. And if you can't convince them that their fiber is worth selling, they may just give it to you, right. which, again, makes me so sad. But, <laughs> you know, I know people um, who do have, have shepherds like you. You've got a neighbor who calls you up and says, hey, come get what you want before I throw it all away. Yeah. So you've said the the response has been overwhelming how, how what's the feedback been from the shepherds and the people who raise these sheep really incredible so we've had 1600 people sign up in the first year which is really exciting um 1600 fiber artists mm-hmm. and within only two or three months of the program starting last year in february we had there were shepherds posting on facebook i'm completely sold out of wool oh, wow. um and We've had people, you know, email us and say things like, um, one woman in particular said that she sold more in the first three months of Shave to Save than she had in the last five years. And um, she decided, um, because she said, and she sold out of wool, and so she decided that she wanted to go and, uh, and talk to other shepherds in her area who didn't want to sell their wool, you know, who didn't want to. Um, like they wanted to make money, but like they didn't, they didn't, they were not fiber artists themselves. They didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to sell it or prepare it. And so she said, I'll buy your wool from you and, you know, prepare it and sell it. And so she started, um, being an intermediary between the fiber artists and some of those shepherds. Mm-hmm. And it's just been incredible. And, I, and that's, she's not the only person that's had a really great experience selling it. And honestly, the people having the best experience selling it are the ones who are also in our Facebook group or our Ravelry group. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a directory online mm-hmm. at livestockconservancy.org. There's a breeders and products directory, and people can search on there. But I think it seems that an awful lot of people just want to go on Facebook and scroll and go, oh, there's somebody that's selling, you know, a wool. I'm going to mm-hmm. buy it. Or even just to post and say, I'm looking, especially with the rare things, you know, like, I'm looking for Oxford yarn. Does anybody have that? Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, somebody responds. Great. What are your hopes for the coming years then? Obviously, you've had a really, really good response in the first year. Where do you want to go from here? We definitely want to take everybody to the next step. Um, We've had, I think we're getting close to 50 people who already completed their passport, Mm -hmm. which kind of blows us away. It was supposed to be a three-year program. So we're really surprised and excited that, you know, 40-something people have already finished. Um, But we also 
take advantage of that enthusiasm and excitement and and you know give people something else to do and so we are working on the next steps part of what we did last year was start with education for fiber artists we had two in-person workshops at Mother Earth News Fairs. One was in Oregon, one was in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and we recorded those, and so we now have those online. So people can take free, they're free. Um, there's one course with Deborah Robson, author of The Field Guide to Fleece, mm-hmm. who talks about what to look for in a good fleece, um, why you think, you may think this fleece is hopeless, but it's not, like what can you do with it? Mm-hmm. And then what goes into creating a good fleece if you're a shepherd? You know, like how you feed your sheep and what you feed your sheep and how that's going to affect the fleece. Mm -hmm. And then in the afternoon, um, I did three hours about marketing. I talked about um, how value-added products can increase your income and then where you can sell your fiber as well as how to use social media to um, develop a relationship with your customers. Mm -hmm. And that's all online right now. If you go to livestockconservancy.teachable.com, you'll find those free courses, and then you'll get you can get more information about the whole program at rarewool.org. Mm-hmm. That gives you information about like becoming a fiber provider or joining as a fiber artist. And then we're working on more educational programs to take people to the next step so that they can learn even more about them. And we're going to create some new challenges as well for people who are ready for that. Great. So you, so a three-year program, um, this will be your second year, and it sounds like, you know, like you said, if, we're, if we can give these sheep a job, we can maybe get some mm-hmm. of them off of that threatened list. Exactly. And that's our goal. You know, mm-hmm. it, our goal has always been to basically put ourselves out of a job, you know, like yeah. we can get all these animals graduated off the list and no, none of them are in danger of extinction anymore. That would be the ultimate success story. Absolutely. Well, you're doing great work and uh, as fiber artists, we can only just uh, support you with that. So thank you so much for talking with me today and uh, I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful talking about the program. By the Wayside. I decided to put the cranking segment just to the side because I don't have anything to report. And so until I do, I'm just going to put it to the side for now. But By the Wayside, I actually do have something to report. I said I, I couldn't go into the new year without working on the accolade. And so I did. I sat down New Year's Eve and I worked on it some and made some progress and it didn't take that long but it was daylight and it was lovely although I've got to tell you that new lamp that I moved into my living room it's wonderful it makes it so much easier to see the colors and all that it's just finding the time finding the brain power in the evenings to work on it but yes I did get some stuff done on the accolade it's moving forward Thank you for joining me for episode 75. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast 
and I look forward to bringing you episode 76 on January 26th, 2020. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion on Facebook or Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at bythefiberside, that's F-I-B-R-E, at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. This is By the Fiberside. <laughs>